Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that will gladly join a carnival or sell its soul just to gain a few more listeners. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching, discuss some real news, including the BAFTA nominations, and our main review is Nightmare Alley, starring Bradley Cooper, Runa Maori, and Kate Blanchett, directed by Guelmo del Toro. But we've got some housekeeping first, haven't we, James? Yes, we do, that we missed off last week. Yeah. So, do you, want, do you want to tell the listening audience what, what yeah. it is? Yeah, we, we forgot the typical structure. We didn't ask each other if we would recommend Belfast. So we're going to do that now. Daniel, would you recommend Belfast? Good God, no. James, you? Yes, I would. Possible top five of the year. There you go. Right. Well, differing opinions, not always a bad thing. We're not going to do the honorable thing and re edit the episode to include that little bit of information. Just dedicated listeners will, will benefit from it, no doubt. Daniel, what have you been watching this week? I've been watching the highly anticipated return of one of Netflix's biggest hits. It's Ozark season four, and it's its fourth and final season. And just to make sure that it doesn't disappear from the conversation a mere week after its release, they've decided to split the season and drop it in two parts. This, so this is part one. I'll give a brief refresher. If anyone's not familiar, Ozark is about Marty and Wendy Bird, played by Laura Linney. And oh, my God. Oh, my God. What is his name? Jason Bateman. Thank you. They find themselves forced to launder money for a Mexican drug cartel. I've said it before with season three, which I reviewed on this podcast. People used to talk about this as though it was this pale imitator of Breaking Bad. And it's well and truly broken out of that shadow. Now, I think it's regarded as a top tier show. Over the seasons, the Bird family have found themselves pushed into various tight corners with, you know, the potential of death or destruction looming over the heads. And this season is a continuation of that. And it's a formula that's worked very well. Allegiances between characters have changed over the years, which has allowed it to still feel fresh and thrilling. This season in particular sees Wendy trying to broaden her political footprint to advance the various shady business operations whilst Marty tries to deal with keeping the cartel at bay and protect his family amidst the arrival of a new drug baron who is unhinged, to say the very least. It's a very solid season, part one. It's basically an exercise in building dramatic tension, episode by episode, and it fully succeeds, and it reaches this satisfying, well, satisfying-ish crescendo, because there's a bit of a cliffhanger in that final episode. I will say, and I think it's very important this, you do you cannot go in cold. If you watch season three a few years ago, if your memory is anything like mine, there are so many subplots and they do not skip a beat. You're thrown right back into it where we left off at, at season three and I was I was lost. And even if you watch the season three recap on Netflix, it neglects to mention six or seven plot points. So I still was lost. So you've been warned seek out a YouTube video. Um, I I am also going to warn you, because I don't want people to be disappointed, episode one opens with a very dramatic event where the future of the family's fate is in question. 
And then it cuts to black and we're right back to where we left off at the, the end of season three. So that opening was a flash forward. And at that point, you think part one will be leading up to revealing the outcome of that event. It's not. It's almost as if they've forgotten that they put that in at the beginning. And I, I'm sure they will honour that and we'll see the fallout of it in part two, but do not expect it to be answered within these first episodes. One criticism I do have with this season is that from a plot development standpoint, the, it, it's always made sense to me and it's been really well written. And in this one, some of the dealings or negotiations that take place between the FBI and other parties, I'm trying to be vague, I went with it in the moment, but the more that I sat back and thought about it, the more I began to question the believability of some of it. And I started to think, are they kind of hoodwinking me here and hiding some really lazy plot by bombarding me with like this almost impenetrable, overly convoluted setup? I'm, I'm not too sure. But if I try and ignore that, it did not disappoint. I'm eagerly awaiting part two. So I will say I'm sorry, by the way, if that seems overly vague, but we're four seasons in. I want people to have the opportunity to enjoy this from the start. So hence that what that's why I've delivered it in such a manner. Uh, it was necessary. Is the quality consistent across the four seasons? Yes, yes. I don't feel as though this as that one season is weaker than the other. If anything, it gets better. That's good. That's good. I haven't watched any of it, unfortunately, so I'm going to have four years to get through once this season finishes. Just watch season four, James. You did that with Breaking Bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what else have you been watching? I just wanted to issue an update on Archive 81. So last week I said, oh, I'm very much on board with this show and the building to a solid payoff, I think. I had two episodes left. And they dropped the ball completely. They really did. It doesn't give you a clean ending. It's very much, ooh, there's still so many unanswered questions because we're setting up for season two. I did still enjoy it as an overall experience, but those final few episodes did dampen it somewhat. So I'm a lot more lukewarm in recommending it than I was last week. But I will still be watching season two. Just wanted to give that update there. Okay, yeah, the ending seemed a bit flat. I watched the first episode and then like skipped through the last episode just to see the very end. Yeah, gosh, it um, <laughs> But you know what's going on within the world of TV and film because you employ this weird and wonderful tactic, so fair enough. Good, yeah. good on you. Yeah, I've done it with In From The Cold as well, but it was so bad that I couldn't even skip through the last episode just to find out what happens. Have you been watching anything else? I watched The Woman in the House across the street from The Girl in the Window. Mm. Uh, parody. Mm. Parody of um, th films that have titles like that that we've reviewed on this podcast with Amy Adams. Yeah, apparently it is. What an absolute bafflement of a show this is. I, I am really lost for words. Uh, I'm not because I've wrote notes, but... Uh, yeah, described as a parody of popular murder mystery films, as you've said, The Woman in the Window and The Girl on the Train. I was I was down for that as a, as a premise. Kristen Bell is also the star of this show, and for anyone who knows me at all, they'll be well-versed in my almost two-decade-long obsession with her and the criminally underwatched Veronica Mars. 
I, I'm really shocked that she's not become an A-list actor because I really, truly think that she's phenomenal. She's equally capable of comedy and drama. So this, this is like, this is a good fit for her. But what makes it more infuriating is that she's now found herself in the middle of a TV show that completely fails to pull off what it's attempting to do. Now, I might be biased, but she is not the problem with this. She's predictably very good in it. She knows what the intended joke was, and she adapts her performance from scene to scene, but the material she's working with is so non-committal one way or the other. It doesn't know how far it wants to push the parody angle, and as a result, it hardly pushes it at all. So... It, it's so serious, right, that 90% of the delivery, in 90% of the delivery, that people are actively watching this and not realising that it's supposed to be a parody, despite that ridiculous title, which should really spell it out. But I, I can't blame them. I, I cannot blame them because it's so tonally confused. Even I don't know what's supposed to be funny. And I think the biggest fundamental flaw with this is the films that it's parodying. They're not iconic they don't have standout moments to spoof. So much so that I, I can't pinpoint them whilst I'm watching it. And one of the only things that I identified was, the obviously we mentioned the Netflix bomb, Woman in the Window was an inspiration for this. And everyone's already forgotten about that. But in that, Amy Adams was agoraphobic or agoraphobic, whatever your pronunciation is. And she was afraid to leave the house. In this, she's afraid of the rain. <laughs> but again it's not particularly presented in a comedic or over the top where it's like they got too nervous and decided to play it safe and i'll tell you the biggest example of it failing and i'm going to spoil something in the second episode so Kristen bell is a lonely woman her husband's left her and her daughter's died and we don't immediately know why and in that second episode it it transpires that a daughter went on a bring your daughter to work day with a dad the dad's a criminal psychologist and he takes her she's eight years old or so by the way into an interview room with a convicted serial killer then he leaves the room and accidentally locks himself out of the room with his daughter trapped in with a murderer that is that is that is fucking funny to me that is so funny but they just no sell the moment and it falls completely flat so, yeah, as a murder mystery, it is serviceable, but that is not what they were going for here. Uh, it's just not very funny, and it is a complete misfire that even Kristen Bell's enchanting presence cannot keep me watching it. I'm just going to switch off. This is, this is terrible. That's unfortunate. The title and Kristen Bell being in it made me think this could be good, but you've turned me off completely. Because if it's not fun with a title like that, it has to be funny because the title's obviously a joke. Yeah. It's very, very confusing. Sounds very confused. Fails on every single level. It sounds a bit like only murders in the building, but only murders in the building was good because that's a, it's a murder mystery, but it's a comedy and it's refer it's about people's familiarity with things like that but in that case it's it's like podcasts people also have true crime podcasts that, that's a fair comparison um with the differentiator being there is comedy within that program here it's maybe it exists but i'm not seeing it 
anyway, less about my watch list, was, which was a bit here miss. What have you been watching this week? My response to that question, firstly, is The Responder. New on the BBC, available to stream. Martin Freeman stars as a first responder policeman who gets dispatched to urgent emergency calls in Liverpool. And there is a, a joke that is the top comment on the Guardian review of this that I wish I'd thought of, which was that Stephen Graham mustn't have been available. You talking, fighting talk, by the way, with that. But carry on. Okay. <laughs> um, but who do you who do you right? Who do you think's older, Martin Freeman or Stephen Graham? St- Martin Freeman. Yeah, he is. Fifty. Martin Freeman, fifty. Stephen Graham, forty-eight. That surprised me. Hmm. Back to the responder. So this Martin Freeman police officer, he's out looking into domestic disturbances, men wielding swords. His time on the force has definitely broken him down. He doesn't follow all the rules. Everyone thinks he's a bit weird. He's also in therapy, but suddenly tries to do the right thing and protect Casey. Casey, Casey, you'll never hear the name Casey more in your life than in this program. Casey is a baghead, a drug addict, and Martin Freeman wants to help her get out, but it gets much, much more complicated for him. You throw in a corruption investigator, a cheating wife, and you've got a recipe for a solid five-episode drama. Martin Freeman's also paired with a rookie police officer who says, but that you're not supposed to do that. And Martin Freeman says, oh, you can't do everything that's in the book and like tells her to turn a body cam off before he beats up these three guys. And he explains, even if we were to get a prosecution for it, nothing would happen and it would be worse for the people. we would be worse for the victim. So we might as well just beat them up. And and with all his experience and with everything he says, it's like he's not wrong, but he's not right either. So it's interesting to watch. Once again, it's the BBC delivering homegrown, excellent content that is well-written by an ex-police officer. It's well-acted and it captures a UK city at night in a watchable cinematic way. And Martin Freeman from The Office and The Hobbit. We know he can act, but this is surely the best work of his career. His character's on edge constantly. Whether he's doing nothing or beating someone up, he's compelling to watch. Not that you were not enthusiastic about that review, but I've I've seen episode one, right? And the reason why I said you were talking fighting talk at the beginning, this came out in the same week that, is it called? Trigger Point on ITV came out. And yes, I got... the bomb disposal drama. Yes, and I was hearing word that one of them was good and one of them was bad, and I didn't know which. And I saw the comment, was Stephen Graham not available? And I just jumped to the conclusion that the responder was awful and Martin Freeman, as a scouser, was bad. So I had a really bad week at work last week and I needed to get some sleep because I had a horrendous day ahead of me. But I thought, just give five minutes of the responder a watch, just to just to see how bad Martin Freeman's accent is. And I ended up staying up watching the whole episode till two in the morning because I was absolutely blown away by him in this. I just could not believe how good he was. That just carried it through for me. And I have only seen episode one. This program caused an argument. 
with my partner because so much did I love that first episode that I said, you have to watch this. You have to watch this and you have to appreciate this performance. Bear in mind, I'm watching it for the second time. She proceeded to just dick about on her phone throughout the whole thing, didn't watch it, and I just lost my shit and said, well, if you're not going to watch it, forget it, then I'm going to bed. And I just stormed off to bed. <laughs> Was this at 2 a.m.? Was this after you you watched the episode from 1 a.m. to 2 a.m.? Did you wake her up at 2 a.m.? <laughs> no, no, no. This, said, what is this? This was the following day. The following day where okay. I'd had very little sleep. So my patience was wearing thin. And as soon as I thought, she ain't just, she's not taking in a second of this. She's not seeing those subtle gestures that he's making, that the amount that's gone into this performance, she is not taking it in, and I am not putting up for it. Nanite. So um, that's why I'm in there. So okay. the quality continues, then, yeah? Yeah, it does. It does. It does. And it's five episodes, not six, which means that you're getting a... It's not drawn out. Yeah. Um, and if anybody's interested, just because I've read a news article this week, first-time writer, uh, ex-copper who did this, went to a uh, mentoring class with Jimmy McGovern which is how he got his break with us, who wrote Time, one of your top five TV shows of last year. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. It did remind me of Time because of the, the level of insight that it provides. So Time was the insight into prisons and the responder is insight into police work. Yeah. Uh, not to dwell on the responder, but I uh, just wanted your impression on this. My mate said, because I said, oh, what did you think of the responder? And he said, oh, it's a bit weird, isn't it? I said, why? He said, oh, it's just very weirdly shot. Do you agree with I that? I don't. Yeah, no, it's not. It's yeah. not weird. It's just, it's at night. So you get light from the street lamps and headlights. So there's a lot of like shadowy stuff going on. A lot of strong colours. No, it's not weird. I watched it the second time and I thought, I don't know what you're talking about, mate. So just wanted to check I wasn't going mad. Right, I'm sure. What else have you been watching? Pam and Tommy, which is available on Disney Plus in the UK, which is really weird considering the amount of swearing and nudity that's in it. <laughs> Not something that you'd expect to be marketed by Disney Plus, but it's because it's a Hulu production. So You also don't expect the Daily Mail to talk about the nudity and produce unpixelated pictures of said nudity within the article which yeah i i I saw that as well i was i was really shocked by that but i think it's because those are prosthetics Mm -hmm. so i think it it counts as makeup so that's why they must have had a discussion and thought because the because these aren't real we can show them fair enough anyway what did you think of it it's it's very stylish it's very stylish there's there are weird moments of style like the, the talking um talking reproductive organ and loud music lots of contemporary music but i do wonder why is this story being told it's very marketable and all the marketing is about lily james's appearance that's fine but these first three episodes a lot of it is about the carpenter played by seth rogan who's like working on their house renovation it's about seth rogan's character trying to steal and sell the tape, that tape, the first viral video, which I'm not that bothered about. It's Seth Rogen and this other guy meeting different people, trying to sell the tape. Okay. And Pam and Tommy get into their shallow relationship and they quickly get married and it's doomed to fail. And we know how it ends. And the Tommy Lee character, played by Sebastian Stan, 
he's good as well, but the character's terrible and annoying. Don't want to see where his journey goes. The Pamela Anderson character is sympathetic and the angle is that no one wants to listen to her. She didn't want this tape to come out, even though it's not actually come out by the end of episode three. No one wants to listen to her. The Baywatch producers just want to film her backside, objectify her. That's okay as well. But is that enough to sustain an entire series? What's the point? I'll keep watching it because it's it's entertaining. I've binged all three episodes today. Yeah. But what's the point of all this? Entertainment. (laughs) No, I know what you're trying to say. Um, I'm still going to watch it just because I've got some sort of curiosity there for the performances more than anything. Although I'm like, oh, how closely will she resemble Pamela Anderson? Not too sure I know what Pamela Anderson's like. Not that familiar with her outside of the tape. And Pamela Anderson's hardly in the first episode. I was watching it thinking, is she even going to be in this? Because that's what it's all about, is the transformation. Mm. But it's one of them where it's because it's all about the transformation and what she looks like, it's hard to actually see what the character is supposed to be. Mm. Like with being the Ricardos with Nicole Kidman, which she had prosthetics on as well. I just get distracted by the fact that they're practically wearing a mask. Is it obvious then? Or is it just because you know what she looks like in real life? I think it's just because you know what she looks like in real life. But so much of the focus has been on the transformation that when you're coming to actually watch it, it's like, right, okay, what's what's the actual point of this? Besides really good makeup. Uh, separate point, but um, this prosthetic talking penis, I've heard about this. Is it a spoiler to tell me why they've done that? Because surely that's not, he doesn't have one of those in real life. It only appears in one scene, and I think there's no reason for it. It's just to show how stupid Tommy Lee is. Right, okay. So he's, oh, he's pretending it's not an actual talking. It doesn't matter. It's not no, it's presented as he's actually having a conversation with it, but it's just to show Tommy Lee's a complete moron. You've not seen the finished product. Do you think this is going to annoy either party involved, or do you think they'll see this as positive? I think, well, Pamela Anderson has already come out and said that it brings back trauma, and one of the discussion points is that this is a show about things happening to her that she didn't want to happen. Mm. But this programme has been made without Pamela Anderson's involvement. Right. So, sad so to say, not going to be a <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, very good. Well, I will be watching it just, just to see, just to check it out. Have you been watching anything else? I don't really want to talk about In, the, in From the Cold. It's just so, it was so bad that I just don't want to address, I don't want to address it. Don't want it to go on the Instagram post. Just awful. Well, I'll leave it there then. (laughs) Yeah, a Netflix series, just really, really bad. Is it foreign that? No, it's it's American, but it's about a Russian spy. So there's there's Russian in it. Right. Well, if there's nothing else that you've watched, James, boom, and drop a guess that film on you. It's been a while. It has been a while. I can't believe this is happening. I'm not ready. It's too late. (laughs) We should have recorded earlier. Okay. If you're not on form, it's fine. And the, the whole point of this, at least from my perspective, is for you to not get this. So failure right. in my eyes is a result, and that's fine. Okay? Okay. Right. Reminder of the rules, I'm going to give you a negative review of a film. 
that is from within the last 20 years. I will then give you a positive one. Both will be extremely vague. You're then allowed to either, you get five clues or facts or questions, should I say. So there you go. There's a brief reminder. All will become clear if that didn't make sense. Starting off with the negative review. James, you look okay. confused. Why does it have to be within the last 20 years? That's that's a new rule. Well, it doesn't. Consider it a helpful first clue, seems as you're not on okay. phone. All right. Okay. Negative review. Title, an incoherent montage of other movies. I'll be straight. There's nothing good about this movie. It's like a montage of reenactments of scenes from other movies. Take the Prague settings from Blade 2, the costumes and bullet time effects from The Matrix, and mix in some atrocious acting and dialogue that can only aspire to comic book quality, and edit into oblivion. Nothing exciting, nothing remotely scary. The audience laughed throughout. Black. That's literally what he's wrote at the end. So, okay. So. Right. Any, any inkling? I did have an idea, but the last comment about it not being scary has thrown me off. Okay. Positive review, written only last year. Phenomenal film. It's so well done. It's so exciting and dramatic. It's such a phenomenal plot, and it is top tier. It is truly a good film. Effects, both visually and orally, are exceptional. What? I didn't even read that before. There are so many twists and turns in the plot, lots of action, and very good sound cues and effects. Deep story with grandiose narratives and dimensions of a world. <laughs> this is just buzzword bingo. Great casting and incredible tonality and pacing. Amazing camera work and CGI. Everything I could ever want from a movie. Marvellous. Literally okay. gives nothing away. I'm so sorry. Um, so I can have five hints slash questions. Yeah. Is it a horror film? Ostensibly. Yes, ostensibly it is, yeah. Okay. Can I have a, a hint, please? Yeah, I don't think this is going to help. Days before its release, without a ticket sold, both a sequel and a prequel were greenlit for this movie. And ju just to kind of solidify that, both were made as well. So it's okay. not like they greenlit and then went, oh, no, maybe not. <laughs> right. See when I when I do the quiz, I want you to get it. So I, I've I pick reviews that do have hints in them as well. But you, because because of your approach, because of your approach, there's virtually no information in those reviews for me to work with. It's evil, isn't it? Yeah, I I will take that feedback on board. It's it's a hard balancing act because there's some things that seem very minuscule, but the, the tipping point of he's going to get this within a second. So it's all down to those clues, really. Okay, can I have another hint then? The main actress, yeah, so the clue there is it's a woman. She met both of her future husbands on this film set. In fact, I might need to fact check that. I don't know if she married one of them. <laughs> are, you, are you struggling still? Because I'm going to give you a freebie if so. I've not got, I haven't got a clue. She's British. So it's so it's a horror film with a British lead actress that can either be described in bad generic terms or good generic terms. But that's the information that I've got. Sounds like you've got it to me. <laughs> um, right, okay, I know I'll give you a good one. You, you'll just get it. 
two, two right it's a franchise that spawns six films okay and it's about two things <laughs> pitted against each other and it's not just limited to the horror genre is it alien versus predator oh no no is it freddy versus jason no if i said len wiseman who's who's len wiseman He's not had a great career, to be honest. I don't play me. I don't know why I know who he is. <laughs> it was his first film. The main character was replaced in the one of the last few films from the previous actress. Is it Underworld? It's Underworld. Right. Okay. Right. I'm sorry. You look so annoyed. Um... <laughs> <laughs> like if I just think the vamp the it's about vampires, is it? Vampires versus vampires. werewolves, isn't it? Vampires and werewolves. Like the vampire genre is so broad that you wouldn't have been given it. You wouldn't have been given it away to come out with vampires straight in the reviews. Right. Okay. Well, like I said, criticism is welcome, and I've absorbed it now, and I will learn from it, and you'll get better. Uh... And aren't aren't there more action films than horror films? You said ostensibly. Have yeah, I missed... I... <laughs> no, well, James, no, you've got it. No, right, okay. <laughs> right, we, we, the Underworld learning... is not even ostensibly a horror film. Is it not? No, it's action. Right, okay. Well, there we go. I've just completely failed. You've still succeeded in guessing correctly. I've just failed, apparently, in quiz mastering. So, Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah, only because I Googled Len Wiseman. <laughs> oh, right. I didn't know that. <laughs> didn't know you cheated. Oh, right. Well, this is bombed. Should we go to real news? Yep. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news. News. I got Metropolis, even though it was littered with clues even though I don't know anything about what it's about. That shows that it was a good, well-selected well reviews. Okay. And hint. That's, that's fine. Before we talk about the BAFTAs, can I just read you this headline and you tell me if you if it makes any sense to you? Mm-hmm. Rita Ora's new record deal lets her own her masters. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that I've read it out loud, it makes more sense. I just Because it was her, lets her own her I didn't, masters. I just didn't get it. No, it doesn't, yeah, it's not immediately clear. I can see why people might think that's some sort of dominant, submissive type affair when it's couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, it's literally talking about owning her master recordings. Anyway, <laughs> Dune leads the BAFTA award nominations. That's the it's the British Oscars, like which is like the American Oscars, but it's more sarcastic. Dune has eleven nominations, including best film but the thing that i want to note which surprised me that in the best actress category friend of the show amelia jones is nominated for coda yeah i'm really happy to see that because she actually looked out a bit didn't she with some of the other big ceremonies i know that she has won best actress but they're more like critics and new york awards blah blah, blah. nothing big so i'm hoping she gets her uh, recognition here yeah, and I thought Coda was so old that it wasn't even in the in the window for this, but clearly 
It is. Up against Lady Gaga, though. So Yeah, mm. hard act to beat that. We'll have to we'll have to see what happens there. Obviously, I don't want to cover every category, but best film, uh, a film that we've not actually spent any time talking about because you've seen it and said it's not worth talking about. I've just decided I'm going to trust you on that and haven't watched it. Don't look up quite a yes. split down the middle film when it comes to people's views on it. I am very shocked to see that nominated for best film. I'm also shocked. Didn't have a good reaction, I thought. Critic score was mixed. I guess the audience score was surprisingly high, but we were going to do it for a main review, but the reason I said there's nothing to talk about is that it's just so it's so straightforward in its messaging, and it's good messaging, but it's so straightforward that there's nothing really to discuss. I don't think it was very funny. Mm. Like the girl across the street from the woman in the window, it's a satire that wasn't very funny, and it seems like real life is more unbelievable and funny than the events of Don't Look Up. Mm. Yeah, It gives Leonardo DiCaprio a chance to scream about climate change, which is fine, but I, I don't think it's one of the best films of the year. No. On the flip side of that, two of your quite, you know, I like these films, Belfast and The Power of the Dog in there, so you must be glad with those two. Yes, and you must feel like you're on the wrong side of history by, by not recommending Belfast. Very strongly not recommending it, but here it is. It's in alphabetical order. It's the top, it's the number one best film because it begins with a B. Uh, it would seem, yeah, I've been proven incorrect and I maybe will live to regret that negative review. But hey-ho. In fact, the only film that we have not seen as a collective on this list is Licorice Pizza. So. No, I think it, didn't, it just didn't feel on brand for us. No, agree. But uh, maybe we'll make our way to it at some point this year. Don't want to dwell too long. Do you think we've short shrifted animated films recently? Because when you look back at the best animated films, I don't think either of us have seen any of them. No, I've not seen any of them. I've heard of Encanto and Luca. Oh, and The Mitchells. The Mitchells versus The Machines. Isn't that the one that's directed by Lord and Miller? And it's on Netflix, I think. Yes, which I did watch half of and was actually really entertaining. Um, so I told a bit of a lie there, but yeah, the other rest I've not, not seen. No, Encanto and Luca, I think one of them's a Disney film, one of them's Pixar, don't know. But yeah, we've dropped the ball there because last year we had Wolf Walkers and Soul that we watched. Yeah, seems we've got our homework to be doing, James. Yes, I predict that Jane Campion will win Best Director. Do you know? Put up any money on that or just to... Just no, no money. I'm just going to say okay. it. That's for the power of the dog. What other real news have you got? Well, just as I predicted, wasn't me. It was various news sources. A few weeks ago, off the back of Spider-Man No Way Home doing so well at the box office, we said there might be another 15 films coming. Well, that's already been kick-started because Dakota Johnson will star in Madame Web, the first spin-off for Sony. So this this is already happening. No longer a rumour. It looks like we're going to be getting various Spider-Man spin-offs for the next 20 years. Um, <laughs> so 20 years, even that's like a uh, reserved estimation. Now it's more likely 50, isn't it? But yeah, any thoughts on that? Don't care. That's that, that's already the reality that we've been living in. We've already been having Spider-Man content for the past 20 years. 
they've just kept trying to do Spider-Man over and over again since Tobey Maguire. But now they've gone, oh, let's not try and reboot Spider-Man. Let's just make every single character have their own film. Madam Webb's pushing it a bit for her own film. Yeah. I mean, don't even know who she is. I just expect that the... she's some posh, hoity-toity Spider-Woman who thinks she's a bit above everyone else. Pretty much. It, well, I only know her from the Spider-Man 90s cartoon. Still the best piece of Spider-Man content in my lifetime. She's this mystical figure that can appear out of a portal and she, she has like a spider on a, like a white and red Spider-Man, spider-themed costume and she sits in a, in a throne that has a web around it and she says, you are about to face your greatest challenge and i have a challenge for you and this is going to happen very soon and then drifts away like the the 90s spider-man cartoon it ends with madam webb saying you are about to face your greatest challenge yet and then it ends she's a pretty significant character in the 90s cartoon and i'm guessing she's in the comic as well doing a similar thing sounds like they could have just shot that down to a five minute youtube clip though yeah. You got any news in your big bag of news? <sighs> that was funny. No, then. <laughs> Who actually? Oh, God. Just in, 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 a, in desperate response to that, I just went on the Hollywood Reporter, which has been a good source for news, not clickbait, but actual information. Did you know there's a Scream sequel happening? Oh, no, no. I, I can't Scream. say I'm surprised, but. So that would be Scream 6 yeah, in total, but it would be the sequel to Scream 1. So it would be Scream 2 in the... It's the sixth yeah. Scream film, <laughs> and it's been green-lit. It's happening because the, this Scream 5 has been very successful, more than $100 million globally. Just, no pun intended, let things die, please. <laughs> Oh, it's tainting my memory of everything at the minute. But well, I I wasn't a big fan, was I? Maybe they'll finally, you know, reel me back in with what I actually wanted. What I did want, I don't really know. You made a really insightful comment when we talked about Scream, where you said that when Scary Movie came out, that was a parody of Scream, but Scream itself was sending up classic horror films and people seemed to miss the point. And there's 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 an interview with the Hollywood Reporter from the executive producer who was talking about how to make a sixth Scream film. So this is the next one that's come out. And he said, in order to make it special, you need to subvert things that have been established as the new rules and play outside of those parameters. Let's break the rules that we now just recreated. But isn't that what the original Scream did? Wasn't that subverting things and playing with expectations? Aren't they just pretending to repeat <laughs> doing the same thing that scream did but just pretending it's a new idea each time they redo it it definitely reeks of that to me yeah i think he's just found a very not as subtle as he thinks way of saying just could do it all again yeah just gonna do it again <laughs> no fresh ideas but the illusion of them yeah you need to subvert things let's break the rules now that we just recreated I don't, I don't know what that means. It means we're shit out of ideas. <laughs> That's what it means. Oh, never mind. Anyway, I'll still watch it, and I'll pay money to watch it as well. Yeah. Speaking of paying money, 
to UK Cinemas helping the cause. That is exactly what we did this week with this week's main review. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Nightmare Alley. ask you simple questions you will answer in short sentences only what you believe to be absolute truth absolute truth i can do that now brief as you can what is your name stanton carlisle are you a true medium yes i am mr carlisle doctor that. Please lie down. Can you read minds? Yes, I can. Under the right circumstances. Keep your answers brief. What do I want? To be found out, same as everybody else. Are you in contact with the beyond? Well, we've had our share of snake charmers in the past. We deal with them. You don't fool people, Stan. They fool themselves. I've given you a fortune. It's time that you delivered. When does it end? I want to know. In 1940s New York, down on his luck, Stanton Carlyle endears himself to a clairvoyant and her mentalist husband at a traveling carnival. Using newly acquired knowledge, Carlyle crafts a golden ticket to success by swindling the elite and wealthy. This it goes on. Hoping for a big score, he soon hatches a scheme to con a dangerous tycoon with the help from a mysterious psychiatrist who might be his most formidable opponent yet. It's very rich in detail. That. I'm glad I didn't read that before I watched the film. James? Yeah, that's the, that's the whole film. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but there's still reasons to watch it, or is there? James, what did you think of Nightmare Alley? Nightmare Alley. Can we agree on Guelmo del Toro's pronunciation? Do you think that's okay? I have always said Guelmo. Okay. But Guelmo. We're splitting hairs, so say whatever you want. I don't even say his name until the very end of this. (laughs) (laughs) Go for Gully de Toro. Okay. I went into this knowing nothing. Hadn't read that summary, hadn't seen a trailer. All I'd seen is a poster. I only knew what Mark Commode had said on BBC News Film Programme. And he said that it's very clearly cut into two halves and the ending delivers. It follows through with the ending. And that piqued my interest and it made me worry. Oh, should we have talked about this sooner? So the first half is in a carnival. The second is not. It's in New York. The first half is Bradley Cooper's character working his way up through the ranks of a carnival, learns how to be a fake medium. There's a bit of romance with Runa Mari's character. I did find myself thinking, what is this about? What is the story? What's going on? But then it shifts to a completely different setting, and it's about Bradley Cooper's character putting on shows and, and conning the rich and wealthy, which I'm surprised is in the plot summary. 
And Kate Blanchett's character appears, the psychiatrist. It wasn't confusing. I was not confused. It was just strangely plotted. Doesn't really build too much. You get the first half and it's like, right, okay, we're just we're, in, we're doing something else now. That did make it a drag at two and a half hours. However, all the details and all the characters they set up do have a point. It does all come together and I don't think any time was wasted. Visually is where things really exceed the camera movement, the dingy carnival, the characters' appearances. It's very gritty, but there is something slightly unreal about it. Then everything in the city is more high-end, upper-class, but still like a fantasy. The film looks very expensive, which is not something I usually think to say. It's very rich in detail. Bradley Cooper. Hmm. Not, I do like Bradley Cooper. Not sure about him in this. I wasn't really sure what was going on. Was he a down-on-his-look drunk loser looking f- for work who works his way up? Is he a bit of a charismatic chancer with a gift of the gab? Or is he just an average man trying to make his way in the universe? Or an unscrupulous swindler? Was he a blank slate by design? I don't know. Runamari is prominent for the first half, but then fades into the background and is a bit of a passenger in the story. Kate Blanchett is superb. She's one of those actors who can get a lot out of just saying one word, please, in this case. She's excellent. There's a big supporting cast, more names and faces that will be familiar to you, I'm sure. And that does add a lot of life and interest to the film. And as I say, they do all have a reason for being there. It's an odd feeling film. Is it tense or funny or dramatic or scary? Is it all of those or none? I don't know where I stand on it, but I did enjoy it more than it sounds like I did. Daniel, what did you think of Nightmare Alley? Well, I had a huge revelation this week. I was under the impression that I was a Guillermo del Toro fan. Um, But I don't know what I was basing that on because it turns out... (laughs) I like Pan's Labyrinth, and that's it. I look through his back catalogue. I don't like any of his other films. So there you go. Um, regardless, because Pan's Labyrinth is in my top 20, I was suitably hyped for this. And as you mentioned, a good cast all round definitely doesn't hurt. And, you know, throwing what looked like a dark and gloomy plot, which I only took from the poster, because that's all I knew. I thought, yes, please. I wasn't aware that this was an adaptation of a book from many years ago and that it's the second film adaptation. So there you go. I didn't know that. Uh, No familiarity with any of that stuff. I'm going in blind. The first act, like you said, Bradley Cooper's on the run after committing a not outrightly shown crime. It's implied that he's murdered someone, but you don't really know. And he stumbles into this carnival and just naturally assumes this sort of jack-of-all-trades job, really. And he's quite a pleasant chap. He seems to go out of his way to help others, and his ultimate goal is to improve things for himself and this new Carney family, which, despite you knowing in the back of your head that he's probably done some despicable deed, you warm to him quite easily. And for me, anyway, I was rooting for him to succeed, which is a very nice way of locking you into his plight when you see how that character develops later on. And again, as you indicated, the first quarter, it's not really about much other than this drifter getting to learn the tricks of the trade and familiarising himself with the characters around him. And it did remind me, weirdly, of the live-action version of Dumbo, 
in that respect with less of a colour palette. I don't know if you ever watched that, by the way, but it's not that bad. With Danny DeVito? Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen it? No. Okay, never mind. Um, but even if it's not as attractive as a Disney film on the eye from a you know wealth of colours perspective, there's still a lot, as you said, to visually take in. There's some beautifully gothic-looking images in, in this, and I agree that it's a very polished-looking film. And that's because there is that attention to detail, whether it's the costumes or the set design. They recreate the time period, and... I concur. It feels like a real, well, it's not exactly what you said, but a lived-in environment that carries on throughout the film, uh, despite the different backdrop that you get in the second half. And come the halfway mark, there is that turning point, and that starts with the introduction of Kate Blanchett's character. And at that point, the film does take on a very different tone and it becomes a bit more noir-esque. And the interactions between Bradley Cooper and her character definitely evoked that era of cinema for me. I'm not saying, oh, I'm quite the connoisseur of 40s cinema. I'm not, but I've seen it. And, you know, when you see people and it's like overacting, you think people would say this is trash these days. You can still respect it for that time period, but it's like hammy in a way. Uh, That was there, but it was the right side of it. And I actually quite enjoyed that. The rest of the acting and the supporting cast, they're all very good. I won't go through them name by name. Willem Dafoe is, is slime ball mode again. Um, he does that very well. The story, which is difficult to outline without spoiling it, it's not what I expected. It isn't as fantasy or horror as what I was anticipating. It's a lot more of a universal story than that, and one that's kind of, you know, a tale as old as time. It's a film that's littered with a whole bunch of broken people, and they're either consumed by their own guilt or they're spurred on through the need for greed which comes at the cost of deceiving others. It's effectively a rise and fall morality tale, isn't it, that does go full circle. And it did it with this poetic justice come the end that I actually really appreciated. It is slightly long at two hours 30, but like you, I didn't feel as though it wasted that time. I felt as though everything belonged in there, but maybe could have done with a bit of trimming here and there. I just don't know what I would choose to leave on the cutting room floor. Uh, and I think that location shift at the halfway mark helped to make it, you know, speed along a bit pace-wise. I was underwhelmed initially, but in light of what we discussed last week about not framing your review around what you wanted something to be and more reviewing it based on what it is, the more that I've thought about it today, the more that I've found that I've admired it because it's so straightforward. And, you know, I'm not sat there trying to decipher what the meaning or the moral is to it it's clear as day to me and sometimes when your brain's not working to the optimum level that's a very much welcome thing so i i enjoyed it yeah admired that's a good word i should have used that i also admired it any other general thoughts from you no i think we can go 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 deeper in spoilers Yeah, and before we do, and those people who switch off who do not watch the Eric because they've not watched the film, fully agree with the Bradley Cooper um, criticism. He just didn't feel like he was the right actor for it. Yeah. Um, But we can can talk a bit about that more in spoilers. Yes. But first, we won't forget this time. Daniel, would you recommend Nightmare Alley? Yes, I certainly would. What about you, James? Seems like you're a bit on the fence. Yes, I would. Okay. Let's go into spoilers. 
Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. What happens in Nightmare Alley? The plot summary from Google goes quite far to explaining what happens. So Stanton Carlisle joins the, the carnival, endears himself to the clairvoyant and her mentalist husband. He learns about how to be a clairvoyant, a medium. He accidentally kills the husband by giving him wood alcohol. Don't worry about what that is. Stanton and Runamari, they leave. Second half of the film starts. They're now a double act who like, do communicating with the dead. Stanton meets Kate Blanchett, the psychiatrist. It's not clear immediately, but Kate Blanchett then manipulates Stanton Carlisle into scamming the wealthy elite of Buffalo, which is a city in the state of New York. And the wealthy elite give Stanton Carlisle money to do these communications with the dead. But it all goes a little bit wrong when Stanton Carlisle tries to stage a conjuring of a rich and dangerous man's dead lover. But it's actually Runamari pretending to be a ghost. They are rumbled very quickly. Stanton Carlisle kills the old man, kills his security guard. Molly, his girlfriend, wife leaves him and Stan becomes an alcoholic. And then when he goes to get a new job at a carnival, he becomes the new geek, the new golem-like creature for that carnival, which is a callback to the geek golem-like creature that was in the very start of the film. Oh, it's complicated. Well, I think you did a good summary of it anyway. But let's start there then with the end. That was the, when I said there was that, poetic justice at the end and we've gone full circle with he becomes the thing that you know he's fully in on the intricacies of this carnival and how they've manipulated the poverty stricken into this position and he becomes that thing did you think that was a bit of a cheap end or did you like how it kind of circled back i really liked that ending a lot so yeah. to be clear very near the start of the film willem defoe's character explains the recruitment process for the geek. And he says, you get this guy in, you tell him it's a temporary job, just pretend to be the geek for a little bit, give him some alcohol. But then at some point you tell him you're going to fire him, but then he, then you give him more drugs and get him addicted and he, he becomes the true, the true geek, the fully, the fully broken man who he can wheel out as a creature. So then at the end of the film, when the new carnival owner starts saying to Bradley Cooper's character, I've got a temporary job. Just just until we get a full-time geek, I, I popped for that. Because yeah. it had come for circle, I really liked it. Did you like it? I did very much so. And even though, because I thought, is this a bit on the nose? And I thought, no, because I didn't actually see us ending up here, if I'm honest. Uh, was within that time questioning <laughs> that there's deeper subtext to the morality tale here, but I was like, is this just an ad campaign for alcohol abuse and the depths and depravities which you can reach? Because my word, it's a dark one, but it works. Um, <laughs> that's not the ultimate messaging of it. But yeah, no, I did. I liked it. And Bradley Cooper's performance in that bit, when he knows what's going on, he knows it's not going to be temporary and that he is being manipulated into being this new geek figure. It's like he laughs and then he cries, laughs again, then laugh cries and says, I was born for it. And I thought it was like he's laughing because 
he knows what's going on, but he cries because he, this is his only choice. So he has to go along with it. He knows yeah. this because he's just because he's just murdered those two guys. He's got nowhere to go, and he it, does it despite knowing that this is going to be his life. You know? Yeah, and I suppose that also lines up with the. It, it's quite an obvious thing in it, but I wouldn't call it a predictable film as such. But the fate of Bradley Cooper's character is prophesized at several points in the film. I didn't make it any less enjoyable, but that you've got like the book that he gets off the. Zena and her husband about how to, you know, manipulate people and all that stuff. And they say, oh, it's dangerous in the wrong hands. Um, and then you've also got them saying, don't overplay this connection with the dead, which he exploits explicitly later on in the film. And then a definitely more on the nose is the tarot card readings where it's like, you're going to meet your fate. So it it is yeah. like he knows this is where he's going to go and he's resigned himself to that fate in a way. Um, so I liked I liked all that. I thought it all. Yeah, I had that as well. And the the fact that the, the without you knowing it, Willem Dafoe describes the end scene of the film without you realizing he's describing the end scene of the film. And that yeah. that made it along with all the predictions you talked about. That made it satisfying to me. And again, even though it's long, it does all it all contributes. Mm, yeah, like how he does when he becomes a con man for the rich, like making the rich believe. That he's speaking to the dead. There's only there's only two examples that he has. So he meets Kate Blanchett, and then he goes to meet the parents of a dead soldier. And but that isn't just the first scam to set things up. That's actually extremely important because when he's doing the second scam of the rich man, the fake conjuring, his security guard hears on the radio the news of his previously scammed parents of the soldier. So it, it tied in. Yeah. No, it was very neatly done, that. Obviously, Bradley Cooper, pivotal to, to this film, and it can't have been that bad of a performance because I don't think it would have worked, really. A lot of hinges on him. But what were your... Well, I'll tell you my problems with it. He was so different, and I get why. There's been an evolution of his character, but he's so chalk and cheese from the first part of the film to the second that it was almost too jarring, and it was like... Yes, you can have a natural evolution of character, but this feels like two completely different characters. And it took me a very long time to get on board with it. What was your... Yeah, I was the same. Completely inappropriate comparison, but Batman Begins, Christian Bale goes through a growth in that film where he's not Batman. He's a pretty weak Bruce Wayne character. He gets trained and he becomes Batman. It's a transformation, but it's the same man. Whereas yeah. Bradley Cooper, it are you right? It does seem like a completely different man. Like when he's doing the full psychic act in the second half, he's extremely charismatic. Well, not even extremely charismatic because that was part of the problem. He's just very he's very competent and controlled. But then the first half, he's just he's nothing. He's just an empty man. Mm. And there's no transition. Yeah, it's not that Which rigid, is of how it's strangely it plotted. It's like first half, it's like you've just said in your summary, first act is in the carnival. I disagree. It's like two different halves. It's just two completely separate halves, the carnival and the city. And he's a different character in each of them. Yeah, I can't disagree with you on that. The Just out of curiosity, really, because I didn't get this, and I was wondering if you had a temporary like, oh, what's going on here? The Kate Blanchett scamming him thing. Did you think there was more going on there with that twist 
other than just, oh, this is a mon- monetary game. I thought, oh, she's linked to his past. She knows who he's killed. Oh, my God. I had so many questions going around in my brain going, oh, this is all coming. And I was like, no, no, no. She just wants the money and she smoked him off her. <laughs> I, think, I think I was a bit, I was confused for a different reason. So just to get this right, she was scamming Bradley Cooper. So she was giving Bradley Cooper the intel from her psychiatry sessions so that he would go out and get paid to be a medium and then she would take the money. How, yeah. But how is that scamming him? How is that scamming Bradley Cooper? I just thought they're partners. Why is it a scam on him? Because ultimately she leaves him with a bag full of $1 bills. She's shortchanged him significantly. Um, she's taking all that money, isn't she? She's not splitting it with him, which is what I think the previous agreement was. Right. I've missed that. I think I've missed that one key line. So he has a bag of $1 bills and there's yeah. no... Okay, right. Yep. All clicked now, but what I was thinking more about was how when when Kate Blanchett says it's all in your head, your delusions are getting out of control. I thought, are we in a Shutter Island situation where none of this has been real? Mm. And that really threw me. But what's actually happening is that she's telling him he's deluded to support her future case for saying, "Oh, he's mental." Don't know what he's talking about. None yeah. of everything. Everything he says is a lie. That's what's going on there. And, and call me an absolute idiot, but I didn't know until I w- read the Wikipedia summary that Kate Blanchett is a victim of Grendel. Is it Grendel? Yeah, the guy with the... Yeah, so she exposes lover. her chest, which is full of scars, and I just thought this was, a, I'm a woman with a troubled past and I've had a hard life. I didn't realise, no, no, I'm a victim, which is another sort of, not just the money angle of scamming him, but did she plot all this? to reach that, you know, kill off this guy who maimed me. It seems that, yes, it is, because Ritter, who's the Kate Blanchett character, Ritter feeds Stan information to use against Grindle as revenge for him attacking her. I completely missed that. Yeah, glad it wasn't just me. Because <laughs> when she when she reveals her scars, I thought, oh, this is... She says, this happens when you cross dangerous people. In a general sense, I have crossed dangerous people and this has happened. It's not mm. specifically about Grindle. That wasn't clear. However, this is very, we're getting very niche reference. Metal Gear Solid 3. (laughs) (sighs) The character of the boss. She also opens her shirt up to reveal a a snake-shaped scar going down her chest. And it's very, very similar to what Kate Blanchett does in this film. Opens her shirt to reveal a big scar going down her chest. Well, he's quite synonymous in the gaming world as well, isn't he? So I bet, I right. bet he's stolen that. He's stolen Okay. That. that may well be a deliberate Metal Gear Solid 3 reference, and it may be him suggesting Kate Blanchett could play the boss, and she could. <laughs> she could play anything. She could do anything, that woman. A talent knows no bounds. I just wanted to highlight, just because it, it, it is one of the moments that stuck with me, I really liked the Rooney Mara how do you say that name? Because you've been saying it, and I've been thinking that's not how I'd say it the whole way through. Well, how would you I'm say it? Rooney how would Mara. You say it? I've said Rooney Mara. No, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, it's, anyway, um, you know the speech that she gives him in the car towards the end, where she says, every time that I was in, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but every time I was in the freak show and 
had to take the electricity and I just got to the point where I was like, my body can't take it and I can't take it anymore. There's more to that whole monologue than I've just said, but I really, really liked that moment. It was very powerful and I, I felt like he was suddenly realising the indirect torture that he'd put her through with his behaviour and, and you know, how troublesome the relationship was. I really like that. Yeah, that was a good scene. She was finally coming back into the film after being absent in the second half. Maybe by design, because the whole point is that Stan begins an affair with Rita. I don't have anything else to you. Um, no, I have no further comments on Nightmare Rally. Well, in which case, do you want to tell the audience what we're venturing back into the cinemas to watch next week? Moonfall, the big release. For next week, it's been dumped in February, maybe. Maybe it's no good. Directed and written by Ronald Emmerich, who loves blowing up the world, starring Halle Berry. Well, you've got me uh, very excited for that. Thank you very much for listening. If you wish to uh, leave any feedback, you can do so at inthealspodcast at gmail.com or you can follow us on Instagram at inthealspodcast. A lot of pretty images that are posted infrequently what's the other thing that we do oh yeah review this podcast that really helps five stars nothing less do that on itunes thank you very much for listening james if you were in a carnival what act would you be i don't i was that wasn't expecting that i was i was preparing an elaborate uh pun for the title okay what words of advice have you got for the audience? Don't delay. <laughs> I have a horse that only goes out after the sun goes down that I've named after my favourite American legal comedy drama TV series, Nightmare Alley. Oh, bye. <laughs> <laughs>